All right, uh, open your Bibles to the Psalms, and but we're going to start this way. Um, I I would um, I'd like to hear from you what your favorite Psalm is or Psalms are, and um, I'm not going to call on anybody. So hopefully a few of you will respond. And why? Um, what What is your favorite Psalm or Psalms, and why is that the case? Who would like to who would like to jump in? Yeah, Julia? It is? Yep. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Yep, that's a great one. Psalm 100, and it's about joy and praise. Somebody else? Psalm 18, how come? Mm. You've been in deep water? <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, that's great. Psalm 18, that's good. Dad, were you going to say what? Psalm 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That was uh, Brother Conaway's favorite psalm. I think he worked it into every sermon somehow. We heard it every week. So, um, yeah, Brandon. Yeah. That's awesome. Psalm 139, his grandpa Art, that was his favorite one. That's the psalm that says he knows when we rise and when we sit down. He hymns us in from before and behind. He knew us when we were in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a beautiful psalm. It's, it's awesome. Anybody else? 23rd Psalm. How can you beat that, right? That's a, that's a great one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody else? Anybody else want to? Share your favorite psalm. 32, how come? Yeah. I think, does it have an inscription on it? Is that the one that David wrote maybe? Yeah, okay. I think it may have been one that he wrote shortly after he had repented. And I think in that psalm he talks about how it was prior to receiving forgiveness, how he had a difficult time sleeping and or bed of tears maybe. To, my bones waxed old. I knew King James is what I had in my mind. That's what I thought. That's a great psalm, yeah. Anybody else? Anyone else? Let me, uh, my, I'll just be, I'll tell you my favorite one is Psalm 3, and um, Lord, how are they increased who trouble me? Many are they who say, uh, who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help in God, but thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept, 
and I awakened because the Lord sustained me. That that has always, not always, but um, several years ago when I just had a, a really difficult year and was having difficult times sleeping, I wrote that on a three-by-five card and put it on a nightstand and read that. Um, if I was waking up or couldn't go to sleep, I would read that. It's a really great psalm that talks about God's ability to sustain us when everything around us says uh, things are, are bad. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Anybody else want to share favorite psalm or why? Anybody? Julia, that's, listen, you all need to do this because the, the rest of this is going to be boring. So this is the best part. All right, Julia? Awesome. Let me let me say something I said this morning. I, I went all over the place this morning and probably will tonight. Um, first of all, when you commit to teaching the Psalms in a couple of Wednesday nights, um, and there's 150 of them, it, it, it kind of uh, handicaps you right off the bat. And and so what we tend to do then is to just give you high points and some technical things, and that can be a little boring. That's really more what's in your notes. But as I taught this morning, some other things came out that um, I thought of that I don't know if I'll remember them all because they're not in my notes. But this was a a point that I made this morning that I think is really helpful. Um, Augustine, um, before Augustine was a Christian, um, he was was quite a mess. If you've ever read Augustine's Confessions, you know that. If you haven't, I wouldn't suggest that you do, because he lived a really, really bad life, very immoral, very ungodly, but he came to Christ. He had no background, and he came to Christ. He had no Christian background, but after he became a believer and before he was baptized, he said that he spent that whole period of time, and I think it was about a year, if I remember right, um, meditating on the Psalms. And, and I don't have the quote down, but I do remember the phrase that he used. Um, it taught him um, the language of God. In, in other words, it taught him how to pray. The Psalms are very much that. And and I, I'm guessing, I'm not talking about public praying here. I'm talking about our individual prayer lives. I, I imagine that on a regular Sunday... I speak to a lot of folks that love Jesus, but never really have learned how to pray. And, you know, maybe our prayers have been, and maybe it's because we've been taught this way, but our prayer lives kind of consist of the nine things on our prayer list. God, take care of that. God, fix this. Help me with this. And um, and I think we're even, even when it's just private, we sometimes get a little frustrated and maybe... Um, feel a little inadequate when we pray. And and I think one of the great things that Psalms does for us is, and I'm not, I doesn't, not talking about King James language, get the New Living Translation or the NIV or whatever you're comfortable with that kind of sounds like you. But, but the Psalms talks about the majesty of God and the greatness of God. and, And, and it expresses how to pray and to praise and to, 
to speak of God's goodness and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And so I really like what Augustine said. It gave me a, a language with which to speak to God. So I would encourage you to find in the Psalms, as you read them, even as you memorize them, um, it, it can provide you ways to talk to God and about God that, that maybe don't come natural to any of us, especially now. I mean, we live in a, such a secular culture that, that talking about the majesty and the mercy and the wonder of God is not something that, that we are very immersed in. And so the Psalms is really helpful when it comes to that. So um, I'll probably bring that up a couple more times as we go. Let's just start working through the outline and and uh, we'll probably take a sidebar or two along the way. Um, just some very straightforward um, information about the Psalms. Uh, many of them, most of them actually, to be honest, were set to music and they were intended for both public and private worship. In their original writing, they were they were musical and they were intended uh, to be part of one's worship. If you look at Psalm 4 and 5, there's many of these. Um, I'm just giving you two examples. Six is the same way, but you'll notice up in the heading, right under the Psalm number, you'll see a little note to the chief musician. Uh, that's Psalm 4 with stringed instruments. That's a note on what kind of instruments supposed to be used when singing and playing this song. So um, you'll see that in a lot of the Psalms. They were initially used or set to music and intended for worship. Uh, many of the Psalms call in the midst of the Psalm for singing, Psalm 95, 96, 98. Some of them actually call for the use of instruments, Psalm 33 and 98 and 108. And of course, who can forget Psalm 150? We're to praise him with the stringed instruments and the lyre and the harp and with the with the 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 symbols and the high sounding symbols and and so um, they call for the use of instruments to to praise God as well. Um, Julia mentioned Psalm 100. The Old Testament believers used the Psalms um, in their worship in the in the temple or as they made their way to the temple. Enter His gates. With thanksgiving, Psalm 100 and verse 4, and and his courts with praise. And that's, I mean, we do that and, and sing it metaphorically, but it was literal. They were to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Um, they were used throughout the centuries in worship services. Psalm 136 is a psalm that's used often as a responsive reading. It was actually kind of written that way as a responsive reading. And the Hebrew word um, for, or in a Hebrew Bible, it, the Psalms are not called the, the Psalms. They are called the Tehillim or the Telehim, actually. And um, that just simply means praises. And so that's really the, the title um, in the Hebrew. Something I did want to tell you, you may or may not care about this and there might be a better chance that you don't care about it than you do. But I'm going to tell you anyway, Psalm 119. Anybody know what, give me, anybody know a characteristic of Psalm 119? Yes. Talks all of, okay. Quote some of it. 
Psalm 119, also, I think it might be verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And um, it is not. That's in 51. But um, thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I think it might be 111. I'm not sure. Uh, But you're right. It talks about the word. The emphasis is on the word or the law. Anybody else know another characteristic about Psalm? Yes. It is the longest, the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm and the longest chapter. Anybody else know anything else about this? Is the the fun fact time here? Anybody else anything about Psalm one nineteen? It was written as a Hebrew acrostic poem. This is just something that you can throw on somebody, and they'll be really impressed that you know it. I don't know. Maybe um, look at. Look at Psalm 119, and look, it's written in sections, right? Everybody see it's in sections, all right? And above the first section, um, you will probably have this word, maybe, Aleph. You have the word Aleph above the first section? Yes? Okay, you do. And maybe above the second section, you have the word Bait. Is that right? Okay. Um, this is in the Hebrew language. This is our A, or the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Bait, it would be like our B, the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And every every section of, now you can't tell it in the English, obviously, but when it was written in the Hebrew, every line, every every line or every verse in the first section, the first word begins with Aleph. Every, every line, the first word is a word that begins with Aleph. And in the, in the second section, the first word of every line begins with Bait. So it's an acrostic poem. So someone very creative, very scholarly um, wrote this poem. And, and so um, every one of those, if you want to learn the Hebrew alphabet, I don't know why you would, but if you want to learn the Hebrew alphabet, um, you can just go through the headings, and that is that is the Hebrew alphabet on on top of each one of those. So that's another little sidebar thing about uh, Psalm one nineteen. Um, yeah, Doug. What's that? The whole section. So, in other words. In other words, um, the first eight verses, the first eight verses, the first letter of the first word of that, of verse one, would be Aleph. The first letter of the first word of verse two would be Aleph, all the way through, and then it would start in the second section. Everything would begin, every line or every verse would begin with the letter Bait. One through eight, the first word of every one of those verses would begin with the letter Aleph. Well, I understand, but you're looking in English. Yeah, it's Hebrew. It's Hebrew. And it's written backwards. It's left to right. And there are no consonants. Yeah, it really messed your brain up, Doug. Don't try to figure it out. It's just all right. Yeah. 
I took it for a year, learned it for a year, did okay on the test, and I have forgotten most of it. So, it, it, yeah, Brandon? No. No, but they did have, they, they did start new lines, but they did have no, no verse numbers. No, no. Correct. All right. Y'all feel enlightened enough to go home now? Is that, is that good enough for you? Okay, uh, and David wrote 73, almost one half of the Psalms. He wrote 73 of the 150. Now, a little bit about authors, because there are multiple authors in the Psalms. It's most likely, we don't have a name for this, we're not sure who did it, but someone, and I'll talk about it in just a minute, compiled the Psalms into five books. And we'll, uh, those, those are noted in your Bibles as well, but we will talk about those in just a moment. Somebody did that. Somebody brought that editing process together. But the individual psalms were um, composed by multiple authors and spanned and spanned a period of time uh, of a thousand years, from 1400 BC to 400 BC. So the psalms are written over a millennium. All right. Anybody know who wrote Psalm 90? Without looking. Psalm 90? Moses wrote Psalm 90. That's right. So he would be on the 1400 B.C. end, and, um, and then um, 400 would be around the period of Malachi, actually. So um, David wrote 73 of them. Asaph wrote 12 of them. The sons of Korah wrote 10 of them. Solomon wrote 2. 72 and 127, and Moses wrote Psalm 90. It's the only one that we attribute to him. Turn to Psalm 90. Let me show you. There'll be some verses there that you're pretty familiar with. And uh, tonight you'll know that Moses is the one who wrote this. Um, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. Verse 1, in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Look at verse 4. A thousand years in your sight um, are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up in the morning. It flourishes and grows up in the evening. It is cut down and, um, and withers. Look at... Um, Verse number 10, the days of our lives, you ever hear that quoted or talked about our um, 70 years um, and, and, and then maybe 10 more, three score and 10, you hear a lot. Well, it comes right, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. Um, and then verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. All of those verses, pretty familiar verses, come right out of a psalm written by Moses, Psalm 90, written probably around 1400 B.C. Um, There were at least three editors uh, that we know of. David compiled, by editing, I'm talking about compilers more than anything. Put them together, um, laid out the structure, at least three editors that put sections together. David, Hezekiah, uh, also Hezekiah did some of the Proverbs. We'll talk about that uh, in a couple of weeks. And then Ezra also uh, did some of the pulling together of the Psalms. 
There are five books. I won't read the numbers to you because we're going to look at those very closely here in just a moment. So let me talk about some of the um, key truths about the Psalms. Um, so first of all, Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. Martin Luther actually called it the small Bible, uh, saying that it summarized the entirety of the Old Testament. And Bishop Horn said that it was the epitome of the Bible, the Psalms was. Let me, um, you, you're familiar with this word, hallelujah. It appears um, 28, I think. Is that what the notes say? 28 times in the Bible uh, total. And 24 of those times are in the Psalms, and three of those are in, so 28 times in the Bible, 24 in the Psalms, and three of those are in Psalm 150, which is that very intense psalm that ends with, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. I've talked about this before, um, but Hallel is, means praise, um, and um, Yah, this is how we transliterate it, J-A-H, but it's really Y-A-H, and it's the short for Yahweh, and so this is God, and so hallelujah simply means praise to God, and, um, but that's, the, the Hallel Psalms are, um, don't know this right off the top of my head, I think it's Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, uh, maybe it extends further than that, um, but, but th- there's actually a grouping of the Psalms called the Hallel. Uh, these would have been the Psalms that they sung at the Passover uh, when Jesus took the third cup and then walked out and they sang a hymn. It would have been, I think, Psalm 118, one of the Hallel. But Hallelujah means praise to Yah or praise to Yahweh, praise to our God. Um, Psalms, more than any other book, connects us with God. This is kind of the language of God thing I was talking about. And and here's the really cool thing. Psalms expresses um, humanity's heart and our deepest needs. I know you've heard me say this now probably a dozen times, but kind of my my, uh, thing I like to talk about when we study the Old Testament is that we we don't sanitize it and clean it up so much that it doesn't relate to us. Um, is there anybody in here that relates to perfect people? Anybody relate to perfect people? Okay, I don't think we do, all right? So if we clean up everything in the Psalms and get rid of the struggles and the frustrations and the moments where I'm down and the moments where I'm up and moments when I fail, we get rid of all of that stuff and clean it up and make all of that stuff just a metaphor, it doesn't help me because I'm imperfect. I I need to see the struggle of someone who is imperfect, who still loves God, trusts God, and wants to get closer to God. Psalms, uh, and we'll talk about some of the types of Psalms, but Psalms shows the human emotions of people. Uh, I mean, David, Psalm 3 is a perfect example. David is, um, he's in a cave in Psalm 3. And he is there because he's been run off the throne by his son, Absalom who wants to kill him. And so he has had the whole kingdom, and now he's hiding out in a cave with a bunch of um, rough folks. And um, everybody is saying to him, God's not going to be with you. 
God's not going to protect. The enemies are too great around here. Many are they who say to me, there is no help in God. Now, everyone in this room, if we're honest, have had moments when we have at least figuratively speaking, been in a cave where the enemy of our soul is telling us, God's not going to get you out of that. They're, the enemy's too great. Too many people are against you. You are too deep in this cave. And so David wrestled with that. He's very honest. This is what's happening. This is what people are saying to me. But David then took what he knew and trans, um, transposed it. I'm not sure that's the right word, but set it against what he felt. All right? That's one of the things the Psalms does is helps us take what we know and superimpose would be better, superimpose it over what we feel. He felt like this is going down fast. But he said, but thou, O Lord, here's what I know. You are a shield about me, and you are the glory and the lifter of my head. So that's how I feel, and that's what they're saying, but this is what I know. So I'm going to cry to you because this is what I know, and you heard me. And so now I can lay down and go to sleep and know that I will wake the next morning. And in fact, I did because you sustained me. But what, what Psalms does is shows us the journey of very real feelings, very real emotions, very real enemies. But then it helps us recognize that what we know can be superimposed over what we feel so that we can lay down and trust God. And so when we clean it up, if we make that just a metaphor and well, David never really struggled with that. Yeah, he did. And, um, if we clean it up, then it doesn't relate to us. So, um, Psalms connects us with God. It expresses our deepest feelings and needs and shows us how to praise and, and majestically declare the greatness of God. Um, it verbalizes our appeals and our cries to God in time of need and difficulty, sorrow, and trial. Interesting little fact about the Psalms. It is quoted in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Testament. 186 times Psalms is quoted in the New Testament. And while it is not um, a doctrinal treatise per se, it does teach us some amazing, amazing doctrine. So what we're going to do tonight and next week, um, we'll get about halfway through the second point tonight. We're going to give you a general outline of the Psalms. We're going to talk about, and again, we'll get about halfway through the types of Psalms. And then we'll spend next week, second half of next week, seeing how Christ appears or is pointed to in the Psalms. A little bit more technical work here first. Um, In your Bibles, you will see um, five different times you will see book. Book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. I want to talk about these books. Book one is Psalm 1 to 41. It's book number one. Psalm 1 to 41. Um, The primary author of most of these 41 Psalms, not all of them, but the primary author is David. He wrote most of these 41 Psalms. And um, the primary name for God that you will find in these Psalms is Yahweh. 
What are some of any, what are some of the Hebrew names for God besides Yahweh? Anybody know? Adonai, Adonai. No, that's good. Adonai is good. That's one we didn't come up with this morning. That's good. Anybody else? What's that? El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. That's good. What's that? Jehovah, yes. Jehovah has a really interesting story. We won't take time to do that tonight. But that was actually came during a time when they didn't want to say Yahweh out loud. And so they took some of the consonants and, and put um, the letters, the vowels from Adonai and came up with Jehovah. It's a really interesting story, but we won't do that tonight. But um, other names, Elohim. Elohim is one of them. Short for, the shortest one is just El, uh, which, by the way, can be translated, at, depending on the context, it can be God or it can be gods. Um, and so those are some of the names. But in these first 41, Yahweh is the primary name. Now, the reason that's even important for people that study this is it helps because there were certain names that were used by certain groups of people and used during certain times. So it helps identify the time period, and it also helps identify who might have been the author to some of those that were unnamed. So that um, certain authors would never use Yahweh. They would only use Elohim, for instance. And so that, that's why that becomes important. Um, one of the interesting things about Psalm uh, Book 1 is that the two main topics are humanity and creation. Now, People have noticed, and this is what I want you to see, people have noticed that there is a very clear correlation between the Psalms and their divisions, five divisions, and the first five books of the Bible. Who remembers what the first five books of the Bible are called? Pentateuch, right, okay. So, um, and what's the first book in the Pentateuch? Genesis, okay, was not a trick question, all right? Um, And of course, Genesis tells the story of creation and humanity, and um, that's what we find a lot of. Now, this is not a hard, fast correlation, but as people have studied this over the centuries, they have realized that the person that put this together really had this little... Uh, template in mind. Let, let me show you a couple of examples. Um, first of all, uh, let look at Psalm 1. Um, we'll probably look at it again in a few minutes in another setting. But Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate both day and night. Right off the bat, there is a discussion about Humanity. Look at Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Look at this. Who have set the glory, have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. You may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I, look at this, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What, look at this. What is man? that you are mindful of him. So again, what, what are the focuses here? Hum, uh, creation, the sun, the stars, the moon, 
hand, your handiwork and man. Look at Psalm 19. Just one other example. Psalm 19. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So all through these first 41 Psalms, you will see a lot about creation. You will see a lot about humanity. Let me read you this paragraph that's in your notes. How these relate to the book of Genesis can be identified by the way these 41 Psalms are categorized. Firstly, Psalm 1 to 8 deal with humanity and the son of man. 9 to 15 deal with the rebellion of man. See, that's the story of Genesis. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and then Cain rebelled. And finally, Psalm 16 to 41 deal with the God-man, Christ Jesus. Thus, the book of Genesis is a book of humanity, a book regarding the rise and fall of man, a book regarding prophecies made to our forefathers regarding a new land beyond the Garden of Eden, a place where we do not remain as a handful of dust, but will be reborn as sons of God. So there is a very strong connection between book one and Genesis. Book two is um, Psalm 42 through 72. And um, let me tell you a few things about it. Mostly David is the author, as well as the sons of Korah. Here you don't see Yahweh very often. You see El and Elohim. Um, and, but the focus of these Psalms are redemption, and deliverance. What's the story of Exodus? It's the deliverance out of Egypt. It's the redemption of God's people. It's the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so there is this really strong connection between book two and the book of Exodus, a a focus on deliverance and redemption. Um, Psalm 42 through 49 describes Israel's ruin Psalm 50 through 60 describes their redeemer and Psalm 61 through 72 describe their redemption. So again, there's this really strong connection in book three, which is Psalm 73. um, Psalm 73 through what is it? One Oh one through 89. Yeah, I'm sorry. Through 89 third book of the, Pentateuch is Leviticus. And um, as you go through book three, mostly written by Asaph, um, El and Elohim, again, are the primary names used for God. But these Psalms are, are the, the, the majority of them are about the temple. They are about priestly worship. They are about um, sacrifice. And again, what's Leviticus about? It's all about the setting up of the priesthood, all about the temple, all about incense sacrifices, um, or the tabernacle in Leviticus. But again, there is that connection between Leviticus and book three. Book four uh, is Psalm 90 to 106. This is book four. And what is the fourth book of the Pentateuch? It's Numbers. I think actually the Hebrew Bible, uh, it is called the Wanderings. But the focus of these Psalms, 16 of them, 90 through 106, um, mostly authors that are unknown. Yahweh is the divine name. But it talks about the desert, the wandering in the wilderness, God's ways of directing his people. And again, 
it is a direct correlation to the book of Numbers. So that's a really interesting thing as well. And then finally, book 5 is 107 to 150. And of course, the fifth book of the Pentateuch is Deuteronomy. And one of those books or uh, chapters between 107 and 150 is Psalm 119. And as Rita pointed out, it is completely about the Torah. Everything. In fact, can we um, go back to Psalm 119? I know I had you look there for the alphabet earlier. But, but can I just give you a little sampling of this? Psalm 119. Um, Look at, look at, let's take the first two verses. Um, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Look at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments, for your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Look, look at verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it to the end, all right? Every section you will find reference to the commandments, the statutes, the word. It's all about the word. That's the big psalm in this section. What is Deuteronomy about? Um, the, the, the word nomos is law. Deutero is second So literally, Deuteronomy is the second law. Why is it the second law? Because Moses stands up, it's his last will and testament, and he's saying to the people, remember what God said on Mount Sinai, keep the law. And so again, there is this really strong connection between book five and Deuteronomy. All right? That's just interesting. I don't, it's it's an interesting, yeah, it's interesting. I hope hope that 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 is at least somewhat uh, helpful to you when you do your study. Now, let's talk about categories of the Psalms. Um, and actually, we're, I think we're going to do most of them. Maybe we won't do Torah and Messianic. That'll lead us into our lesson next week. But um, there are several different categories or types of Psalms. Any questions to this point about kind of the technical stuff, the Psalms? Anybody question or comment? Anyone? All right, so the the first kind would be a hymn. There are lots of these. I'm only giving you a sample. Look at Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Um, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Lord is high above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Um, Let me just stop for just a moment. Think about this. Um, Let me read the next verse. That he may seat him with princes. Okay, this is a hymn of God's greatness, all right? Think about that phrase. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he, may, that he may seat him with princes. What did Paul say that in Ephesians that um, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us to do what? Sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This is just the Old Testament version of what Paul said. He lifts people out of the ash heap and makes them sit with princes. This is, um, again, think about Augustine. I don't want to beat this drum too hard, but I want you to get this. This gives language to what God does in our lives. Um, So when I'm praising him and I'm thanking him, I can thank him for taking me out of the pit or out of the ash heap and sitting me with the Prince of Peace. I mean, again, we we need to, I, I'll go too far with this, but America has become so dumbed down, you know, educationally and certainly spiritually. We are biblically illiterate and, you know, well, I know Jesus saved me. That's all good. I'm glad we, but but can we at least here learn to grow and have big thoughts of the greatness of God and realize what he really did at Calvary, took us out of the ash heap and made us sit with the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings. That's why, that's why the Bible is alive. That's why it's important to read it and study and meditate, not just do my five chapters so I can check them off, but hear what God is saying, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and yes, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they knew God when they wrote this. That's why they could say things like that. And our prayer lives would be so much richer and so much fuller if we could learn to know God and speak about God in some of these ways. Okay, that's the little high horse I just got off of it. But, but it's important. We need to learn this. So this is a hymn. I won't read the rest of it to you. But, but the hymns of the Psalms will talk about, just like just like some of our hymns. A sad thing that most churches never sing a hymn because the hymns are so rich in theology. These hymns are rich in theology. They tell us what God has done. I mean, look, verse 4. He's high above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. That's big stuff. And um, so the hymns do what our hymns do. They Give us the richness and the majesty of God. Secondly, um, there are laments. Um, Turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. And again, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier. We don't want to sanitize this. Um, People lamented. What what does it mean to lament? To mourn, to cry, to be despondent. There are psalms that are psalms of lament. The book of Lamentations. Um, is lamentations means laments. And that's Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet because he cried a lot. He lamented over the condition of God's people. And so let me give you the the context to Psalm 
137, it was a psalm that came out of their time in exile. They have, Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem. They've carried the Jews back to Babylon and um, they are slaves. Now the Jews were singing people. They had harps, they had instruments, they were singing people and they took their instruments with them. But here they are by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yea, we wept. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For those who carried us away captive ask of us a song. Those who plundered us request mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they said, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Um, this, is just, this is just human emotion. They've been carried away captive, and they don't have a song in their heart right now. They've hung their harps up on the willow trees, and they're being taunted by their captors, saying, Come on, you're singing. People sing us a song now. Now, again, is that not what the enemy does to us when we fail, when we're defeated and we're kind of down and we know where we're in this hole because we got ourselves in this hole and the enemy kind of taunts us? Come on, sing now. Praise big about your God now. And the human emotion says, how can I do that when I'm in this condition? Um, but they even talk to themselves in verse 5. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So even in the midst, one side of that is their lament. The other side is, but I can't forget. I can't forget what I once had. Laments, two kinds of them. I won't spend any more time on laments, but there are communal laments where the whole body, there are several of them in Psalms, where the, the whole people, the whole community, they're lamenting. And then there are personal laments where you will see an individual lament his condition. Uh, Psalm 30, turn to Psalm 30, the third type of Psalm. And again, there are multiple examples of all of these. Um, Psalm 30, maybe next week I'll print you out. Um, I think I have a page and I'm pretty sure I have a page that has, um, where you'll find all of these different types. If I remember, I'll do that. Psalm 130, or Psalm 30. Psalm 130 is a psalm of thanksgiving, but it is actually a psalm of thanksgiving um, in response to a lament. Um, look at verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And you've not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. Give thanks at his remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Here's where that verse, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, look, I said I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid my face and I was troubled. But look at verse 8. This is where the lament was. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. 
What profit is there in my blood? When will I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? So Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving saying, I'm thanking you now because earlier I lamented. I said, is there any hope? And you did what I asked you to do and you brought me out. So there are laments, there are thanksgivings or psalms of thanksgiving. And then there are um, psalms of confidence. Um, Look at Psalm 16. Here's an example, Psalm 16. Um, Again, think language of God, ability to speak to God, ability to talk to God about his greatness and thank him for his greatness. Look at verse 5. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not move, be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. I think psalms like this of confidence are great psalms to learn, to speak, to pray, but we don't feel that way. This is something we superimpose over our feelings. The word of God, listen, heaven and earth passes away. Our emotions, they're all over the place. But the word of the Lord is steadfast. It stands forever. And so part of, listen, um, Paul says um, that, that we uh, pull down strongholds. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What, what is that? Is that some kind of mystical gymnastics that we play? No, it's knowing the word. And when the thought life says, I am defeated, I'm done for, I, I'm not going to make it. If we know the word, which is the sword of the spirit, the spirit lives in us and we we have to put something in the Spirit's hand, which is the word that we've committed to memory, then over against those feelings of I'm not going to make it come things like, because you are at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now, this is not a game. It's not a game we play. This, this is alive, okay? I hope you're getting that. This word is alive. And so when I feel one way, My feelings are not fact. God's word is fact. And so if I know the word and I've hit it in my heart that I won't sin against God and it's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, then when I'm feeling this way, feelings that fluctuate, I can say I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And we can be confident about that because we're not quoting our feelings. We're not quoting what we read in a book on page 73 of some you know, newfound Christian author. We're quoting what the Word of God says. All right, so these are, these are psalms of confidence. Um, psalm 78, psalms of remembrance. Um, psalms of remembrance. Psalm 78, verse 1. This whole psalm is a psalm of remembrance. I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. You're looking at it thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to read 72 verses. No, I'm not. Uh, Give ear, O my people, to my law. 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them. I love this line. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established his testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of, of God. Now, I'm not going to read you the whole psalm, but if you read it, it is a, it is a recitation of what God did for Israel. He brought them through the wilderness, across the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from the rock. It is, it is a psalm of remembrance. And did you notice what it says? Um, we'll not hide these from our children. I, I really think that um, our children and our grandchildren need to hear us when we pray. Pray psalms of remembrance of what God has done. I think they need to hear us say, I think our kids, I think Eden Bell, my five-year-old granddaughter, needs to hear me pray, God, we remember when we were in this difficult position and you brought us out. We remember when you healed this person. We remember when you met a need that they, we, our, our younger generation needs to hear the works of God. And um, I, no better place than in prayer. As we're thanking God. I mean, children take that prayer thing pretty seriously. You know, when you're, when you're praying your prayers, and if they hear you talking to God and you're saying, God, we remember when you did this for us. That's, that's again, what this psalm really is. It's a psalm of remembrance. Psalms of wisdom. Look at uh, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and... Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, sitteth in the, uh, stands in the paths of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is a real simple psalm, but it's a psalm of wisdom. And um, it says um, that the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates in it day and night will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. But now notice, but not so with the wicked. Not so with the person who doesn't meditate in the law of the Lord. We, um, people wonder, why don't I have any confidence? Why, why am I not steadfast? Why does everything I do just seem to, you know, on and on and on. Um, this is not something you just kick into action when you're in trouble. This is a lifestyle. And, um, you know, I I think it's in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. 
How many love that verse? That's a pretty cool verse, right? Um, however, I, I'm 55, and if I have never delighted myself in the Lord until I'm in trouble, and then I think, okay, I need God to fix something here pretty fast, so I think for the next week, I'll delight myself in the Lord. And I'll, I'll shut out all the other voices, and I'll just delight myself in the Lord for a week. I'll give him maybe 10 days. And then I expect, because I live in this Burger King fast food world, where I think, and this is how, unfortunately, American Christians are trying to use the Bible. This, this Psalms is not, it, it, it's not, these are not magical formulas thing, things. This is, this is wisdom, lifestyle. People who delight themselves in the law of the Lord, and they meditate in it day and night. They, it's on their lips. It's in their heart. Listen, if we are going to be immersed with culture and immersed with, with every television show and every junky video and, and every you know, piece of garbage that we want to read, we fill our minds with that. And the only time we read the Bible is when the pastor's preaching and it's up on the screen. Do not expect to be like a tree planted by rivers of water whose fruit always grows. Don't, don't expect that. Instead, you better expect to be like one of those that the chaff, the wind blows the chaff away. Because the wisdom of this is not, this is not some little name it, claim it, quick fix, I get what I want. This is how godly people learn to live. And in the midst of that, there are times that storms really come. They don't just go away because I delighted myself in the Lord, but because I made a lifestyle of delighting in the law of the Lord, I can be like a tree that stands when that storm comes. Does that make sense? This, these are wisdom songs. This is wise way to live. Um, we're not told that very often anymore. This is its lifestyle. It's not try it for a week or two or three or a month. It's this is who I'm going to be. This is the, I'm going to be a man or woman of the word and I, I'm going to live in the Word, and then I'm going to trust that, that God will, in fact, do what God says He will do. There are psalms of kingship, um, both human. This is a praise of an earthly king in Psalm 45. Psalm 47 is a, a um, song to a divi- the divine king, the king of kings. One of the, uh, one of the phrases that... Um, that that is prevalent in Psalms, especially in the uh, 80s and 90s. The Psalms 80s and 90s is um, is the Lord reigns. That's a phrase that 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 is kind of like a almost a uh, centering motif of some of those Psalms. It, it's kind of the anchor that everything builds around. The Lord reigns. Um, again, that's a great that's a great thing to. Remember, then penitential or psalms of repentance. Psalm 51 is the classic example. That's when David um, is repenting because he's been caught. um, And Nathan pointed the finger at him and said, you're the man. And this is when David prays, um, cleanse me, O God. Um, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of salvation against thee and thee only have I sinned. Every one of us has at some time in our life needed to repent, probably pretty often most of us, 
Um, and, and Psalm 51 gives us an example of how we do that. We, rec- we take ownership. David did not say, well, God, I, 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 I probably did fail, but you, you know that it was really pretty hard and, and you know, everybody else is doing it and I won't do it anymore. He said, against thee and the only have I sinned. It, it was taking ownership. So we can learn how to repent uh, through Psalm 51. And, and I'll leave you with the fun one. Um, imprecatory Psalms, Psalm 35. Anybody ever um, been really ticked off at somebody and wanted to have a good biblical prayer to go after them? Anybody want to raise your hand and say, that's what imprecatory Psalms are, okay? Another reason why you don't want to clean up the Bible, because there's a Psalm for every use, okay? Psalm 35. And look at what David prays. Um, Psalm 35, verse 1, plead my cause, O Lord, with those. This is one of the mild ones, too, by the way. Um, Those who strive with me, fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler. Stand up for my help and draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. Now he's getting a little, he's getting fired up. And and let their way be dark. And slippery, he's praying that for the enemies. Let them let them slip and fall in the dark, uh, for without for without cause they have hidden their net for me. I won't read the whole thing. There are other. I mean, there are some even a little stronger than this, like like crush their teeth. Um, that's one of them. It's imprecatory psalms. Now, um, I'm not certain that. Uh, first of all, let me say a couple things about them. how how in the world do we apply imprecatory psalms? Don't go out and and uh, pray this one tonight and forget the psalm of repentance, okay? I'd rather you learn the repentance one than the imprecatory one. But first of all, uh, one takeaway is it does show humanity, all right? There are some times that, that we feel that way. Secondly, do notice um, that David is turning this over to God. It is his way of turning it over to God. He's not taking matter into his own hands he is saying, God, you will have to deal with that. Thirdly, we are on this side of the cross. And what does Paul say? Where is our wrestling match? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so I think it is perfectly appropriate for us to pray that God will stand and fight the evil one on our behalf and to feed him and destroy him and make uh, the, the enemies that come after us to scatter. I don't think these are to be used, directed at a person. It doesn't fit into the context of God won't even hear us if we don't forgive. So, but, but we do wrestle against a real spiritual enemy, and I think there's a place uh, for that kind of prayer even in that spiritual battle. I'm going to stop there. We'll pick up uh, the Psalms of Torah and the Messianic Psalms next week and then talk about how Christ is revealed in the Psalms. But any questions or comments from anybody? Yes. Change. Right.
Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. While Stephen was being stoned, don't lay this sin on them. So yes, I, I think that careful uh, understanding of. But but I think one of the, the key things is it shows the humanity of of David and others. Um, without the Holy Spirit. So, anybody else? Any other questions, comments? Alrighty, very good. We will uh, see you all Sunday morning then. All right? God bless you.